In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. You're probably um, familiar with the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Does that ring a bell? Are you familiar with the versions um, that add quite an important corrective, in my opinion, and they go along the lines of, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can also hurt me, or words will break my heart, or words leave psychological wounds. Um, Have you heard those versions? I think they're true. The power of words. Just, Just think of some of the power of some of the great speeches of history um, from around the world and also from our own country. I have a dream. Four score and seven years ago, or Queen Elizabeth I, I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England too. In our own land, the Redfern speech by Paul Keating. And how about this one? Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. Remember that one? Or how about this one? If he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives, he needs a mirror. Remember that one? Or words from our own main leader, the Sermon on the Mount. In your own lives, think of the power of saying, I'm sorry, or I love you. Words matter. What we say matters. And doesn't James know it? The tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity, a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's heavy stuff. So if we engage in a bit of mirror reading and consider what could have been behind this text, I'd say someone has been engaging in a lot of trash talk about James and the network of Christians within his sphere of influence. There is deep wisdom and guidance on offer here. And I think we we actually shouldn't limit what James is speaking about by the tongue to the spoken word. It extends by nature to the written word, to a communicative gesture, to a tweet or post or story or article. We don't need to explore those in detail, but keep them in mind. Suddenly got a lot quieter in here without Ezra running around. Do you think, uh, just as I was reading the gospel, this is a total aside off script, I thought... If Jesus was trying to put a child in the middle of the disciples, good luck to him if it was Ezra. No chance. No chance. Jesus is up to the challenge. 
words matter. Okay, words are powerful, and J- James is tapping into Jesus' teaching here, where, where he says, "It is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come." And remember, this letter is by James, a biological brother of Jesus who was in that inner network of disciples. So if we think our tongues get us into trouble and we beat ourselves up over that, I guess we can take some comfort in the fact that the very first generation of Christians had the same struggles. We may think of the church of New Testament Jesus era as a golden age. But actually, I think the New Testament itself reveals a more burnished reality. So the people who actually met face-to-face with the risen Jesus, who experienced the first Pentecost and its miracle of speech and hearing, the pioneer great Christians that have been the subjects of art and inspiration. They were human, after all, though God was powerfully at work within them. And the interesting thing is, James says, no one can tame the tongue. He doesn't give a 12-step tactic for tongue-taming. He acknowledges this is a problem and that it ought not be so, but he doesn't press much further than that. So let's, let's imagine for a moment that what it would be like if you were to achieve in yourself exquisite elocution, free from sin. Maybe to you that means never swearing or participating in gossip or saying anything mean or listening to only nice, clean music. And please understand, I'm not saying there's anything... um, I'm not encouraging swearing or gossip and I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with clean music. They're all good. But imagine you got to a place of thinking, I have really nailed this whole tongue-taming thing. Would that feel good? Yeah. It would feel good, wouldn't it? Perhaps a nice little feeling of superiority to others who are less tidy in tongue from your point of view. And therein, my friends, is a trap. So I think it's slipping into a mode that implies the more outwardly virtuous are the best Christians. And that is a subtle deference to the idea that you achieve your own righteousness. And, you know, God is there to give you a pat on the back. Say, good job. But of course, that doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. And that's one of the main points which came through earlier in James's letter, which we heard over the last couple of weeks, which highlights that tension between faith and good works. James acknowledges that we bless the Lord and Father 
and also might curse those who are made in the likeness of God. So what do we make of that? Let's start from that point. Language, speech, the tongue, words, gestures, and all that is related, they aren't just about communication. They're not just about communication because they all help form us as people. They're involved in meaning-making. They grant us capacity to comprehend and demonstrate what we hope for, what we desire. So silencing another, whether an individual or a group of people, that is an act of violence. And there are fascinating studies about the power of criticism and compliment and how that can reinforce behaviours. There are forms of psychological therapy which tap into the repetition of sentences and statements that help to rewire the fundamental narratives we operate out of because the neural pathways in our brains can be moulded by words and the meaning those words carry. It's incredible stuff. So think about how the regular experience of praise of God can shape us. Of our blessing the Lord through word and song and action can influence our perceptions and actions. I put it to you that the Christian impetus towards adoration of God, thanksgiving to God, confession of sin that we may delight in the goodness of God towards us in Christ, praying for others and asking God for what we need is distinctive, deeply formative in every sense and we would be greatly impoverished without it. So the Holy Spirit can seize on what we say as an offering to God and imprint that offering back within us for the greater glory of God and the service of the kingdom. Speech, the tongue, words, can all be sacramental. That is... um, in the old Anglican definition, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. So use, do use discernment in speech. You already do, I'm sure, but it's entirely appropriate to keep in mind whether what we say helps reveal the life of Jesus within us or obscures it and dishonours it. But don't expect perfection, this side of the pearly gates. And that's okay. That's actually okay. Jesus can meet you wherever you are at and carry you through the failures and limitations and sin that we all struggle with. The tongue, even though it be a 
deadly poison at worst, is overcome by grace. So give thanks to God for that. Thanks and praise and adoration and more. The Lord be with you. 